welcome to the Hello Black Belt Read Aloud radio program, sponsored by the Alabama Humanities Foundation and the Stillman College of Education. I am your host, Dr. Allison Upshaw, the Assistant Professor of Voice at Stillman College. I hope you'll join me for the next few weeks as I read all kinds of stories with you. Tonight, our first story is a book called Milo's Hat Trick. It was written and illustrated by John A.G. and published by Dial Books for Young Readers. Milo's Hat Trick, hmm, I wonder what that is about. Do you know the type of job that you have if you do hat tricks? Absolutely correct. A magician does hat tricks. So this, I think, is a book about a magician. Let's see what happens. I wonder if we are right. Here we go. He was called Milo the Magnificent, but Milo wasn't magnificent at all. He botched his card trick. He tangled his rope trick and his hat trick was just pathetic. Mr. Popovich, the theater manager was furious. Milo, he barked, I will give you one more chance. Tomorrow night, you better pull a rabbit out of your hat or else. So the next morning, Milo went out to catch a rabbit. Instead, he caught a bear. Uh, what are you doing out here? Said the bear. Um, um I, I'm looking for a rabbit for my hat trick. Hat trick, said the bear. Maybe I can help. You, said Milo. Watch this, said the bear. And he jumped into Milo's hat. <gasps> wow. I wasn't expecting that, were you? Oh, well, let's keep reading. This is getting really interesting. Wow, said Milo, how did you do that? Easy, said the bear, you just pretend your bones are made of rubber. It's a secret I learned from a rabbit. You definitely can help me out, said Milo, but you'll have to hide in my hat until we're on stage. No problem, said the bear, just whistle and I'll pop out. On the train back to the city, Milo was in a daze. It's true, he thought, I really do have a bear in my hat. But when he got to his dressing room, his hat was empty. Worse yet, it wasn't even his hat. <gasps> Uh-oh. Milo raced back to the train station. There were lots of people with hats, but none of the hats was his. Meanwhile, in a restaurant across town, someone whistled for a waiter. I can't really whistle, so I tried. Ta-da! Right on cue, the bear popped out of the hat, but there was no applause. There was no Milo. Uh-oh, said the bear. He grabbed Milo's hat and ran. Help, cried a cab driver. A wild bear is on the loose. A bear? Where, said a policeman. He was standing right by that mailbox. Then, poof, he disappeared. Where do you think the bear was hiding, y'all? Yep, he hid in the mailbox to get away from the crowd. Oh, that poor bear. 
Oh gosh, said the bear, how in the world will I ever find that magician? Just then a school teacher was passing the mailbox. Hurry up children or we'll be late for the magic show. Magic show, thought the bear. He slipped out of the mail slot and quickly joined the line. Minutes before the matinee, Milo slouched into the theater. It's no use, Mr. Popovich, he said. I didn't find a rabbit. Rabbit or no rabbit, you've got to go on, Mr. Popovich said. Just look, the house is packed. Milo looked. A very familiar hat was sitting in the front row. My hat. Would you please hand me my hat? Milo whistled and out popped the bear. Boy, said the bear, am I glad to see you. For the rest of the afternoon, the bear jumped in and out of hats of all sizes and shapes. Milo's new act was a smash. Mr. Popovich was excited, ecstatic. For three solid weeks, Milo and the bear were the hottest ticket in town. But one day during intermission, the bear yawned. Ooh, an enormous yawn. After popping in and out of 762 hats, he was pooped. Mm, poor bear. So Milo took the bear home. Back in his cave, the bear settled down for a long nap. Gee, said Milo, what am I going to do without you? The bear yawned. Like I said before, you just, you just. And then he was asleep. These days, Milo closes his show with a hat trick and this one is really special. It's a secret he learned from a bear. The end. Oh, that was pretty cool. Can you imagine what it looked like to have a big old bear jumping out of a little hat? Wow. And he carried it around so it didn't even feel heavy. Oh my goodness. That was a silly story, but I really liked it. At the beginning though, the theater manager, Mr. Popovich was angry at Milo why was he angry at Milo, do you remember? Yes, Milo wasn't being such a great music magician. He was not a great music, I keep saying as musician, but he wasn't a great magician in the beginning, not until the bear showed him that trick. You're right. And that made Milo very sad. Very good, guys. All right, hold on. Let's get the next book that we're going to read. And it is called The Oldest Student. This one is going to be a big surprise for you guys. It's called The Oldest Student, How Mary Walker Learned to Read. And it was written by Rita Lorraine Hubbard and illustrated by Aji Mora and published by Schwartz and Wade Books, who gave us permission to read it. I want you to listen very carefully because you might hear something you've heard before in this book. Oh, I can't wait. Are you ready? Okay. Whenever young Mary Walker was tired, she would shield her eyes from the sun and watch the swallow-tailed kites dip and soar above the trees. 
These kites are not like fake kites. These kites are a type of bird. That must be what it feels like to be free, she thought. But Mary didn't watch for long. Even at only eight years old, she knew the first rule of the Union Springs, Alabama plantation she lived on. That's right, that was my surprise. This is a book about somebody who grew up in Union Springs, Alabama. It's a true story too. The first rule of Union Springs, Alabama plantation she lived on was to keep working. She knew the second rule too. Slaves should not be taught to read or write or do anything that might help them learn to do so. Mary didn't stop working. She didn't learn to read either, but at the end of each long day picking cotton, toting water to Papa and the other slaves who chopped wood for the train tracks or helping Mama clean the big house, she would lie in her little bed next to the crumbling fireplace and think about those birds. When I'm free, I'll go where I want and rest when I want, and I'll learn to read too. When she was 15, it happened. Mary and her mother and brothers and sister were free. Their Emancipation Proclamation said so. What it didn't say was how a family with nothing except the tattered garments on their backs could find food, clothes, and a place to sleep. Mary's father had died and the family was on its own. Freedom Road to Freedom Road. Across fields and through woods, ex-slaves surged like waves crashing hard to shore. Now that they were free, every road was Freedom Road. Many headed north and west and every which way, searching for long lost family members or simply experiencing the wonder of being free. Others like Mary chose to stay in the South. An organization called the Freedman's Bureau helped those who stayed to find shelter on abandoned Confederate land. Mary and her family settled in a one room cabin and for the next few years, she worked alongside her mama to help feed her siblings. Seven days a week, she churned butter, cleaned houses and cared for other folks' children. The hours were long and if Mary was thirsty or hungry or needed to use the outhouse, she had to wait until she got home. At week's end, she would offer mama the one lonely quarter she had earned. Poor Mary. One day, Mary met a group of evangelists on the roadside. A woman with soft wrinkles in her kindly face placed a big, beautiful Bible in Mary's hands and told her, your civil rights are in these pages. Mary didn't know what civil rights were. She only knew that top to bottom, front to back, that book was filled with words. I'm going to learn to read these words, she vowed, but not today. Today, there was work to be done. And tomorrow, too. When Mary got married, she and her husband worked as sharecroppers, renting someone else's house, using someone else's tools, and planting someone else's seeds to farmland they would never own. After they harvested the crops, almost all the money they earned went to pay for the housing tool and seed costs. Mary was 20 years old when her first son was born. She opened her Bible and marveled at the squiggles inside. There had been no time to learn to read. A friend wrote Mary's son's birth date in the Bible. 
August 26, 1869. Then Mary dipped a pen into an inkwell and made her mark beside it. Not a letter, not a name, just a mark. It was the best she could do. One day, Mary's husband died. She married again and a second son was born, then a third. Mary made marks for these sons too. Now she had three growing boys. More money, that's what we need, Mary thought. But the only other jobs available to black women were as maids or nannies or cooks. The hours were long with only half a day off on Saturdays and like sharecropping, they didn't pay much. Mary sighed, words would have to wait. For the next four decades, do you know how long a decade is? It's 10 years. So four decades is 40 years. For the next 40 years, Mary sharecropped and did odd jobs to help support her family. In 1917, Mary's family moved to the little town of Chattanooga, Tennessee. It was the year of Chattanooga's great flood. The story was in all the newspapers, but Mary could only study the pictures to understand what had happened. By now, Mary was 68 and too old to share crop, but she continued to work cooking, cleaning, and babysitting. She also fried fish, baked cakes, and sold sandwiches to raise money for her church. On Sunday, she would sit in the congregation, and as the preacher spoke, she would clutch her family Bible, the Bible she still couldn't read. When Mary was well past 90, she and her husband sat in their creaky rockers while one or another of their sons read to them. After the two younger boys died, the eldest read. Then Mary's husband died, and several years later, her eldest son died too. He was 94. Mary had outlived her entire family. She was 114 years old and alone. Can't read, she said, can't write. I don't know anything. Mary stood at the window of her retirement home and gazed down at the world below. Words were everywhere, on billboards, on buildings, on store windows and trucks. She said, all this time, she thought, and they still look like squiggles. Mary had heard about a new reading class held in her building. She pursed her lips. No more waiting, she decided, time to learn. Out of her apartment, into an elevator, and down to the lobby she went. When the elevator door sprang open, Mary saw people sitting under a sign with a picture of an open book. She could not read the words. A neighbor walked up to her, that's a reading class, Miss Mary. Can I help you over? Mary shook her head. Then she gripped her cane, lifted her chin and walked straight toward that sign. For the next year and more, Mary put everything she had into learning to read. It wasn't easy. After all, she was the oldest student in the class and probably in the entire country. Could someone her age learn to read? She didn't know, but by God, she was gonna try. She studied the alphabet until her eyes watered. She memorized the sounds each letter made and practiced writing her name so many times that her fingers cramped. 
She learned to recognize sight words and then challenged herself to make short sentences with them. She studied and studied until books and pages and letters and words swirled in her head while she slept. One fine day, Mary's hard work paid off. She could read. Word of her accomplishment traveled and people everywhere celebrated with her. Chattanooga's mayor, newspaper journalists across the country and a man from the US Department of Education who said, Mrs. Mary Walker, I pronounce you the nation's oldest student, all shared her joy. Mary felt complete. She still missed her sons, but whenever she was lonely, she read from her Bible or looked out her window and read the words in the store in the street below. From then on, Chattanoogans honored Mary's achievements with yearly birthday parties. In 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson sent well wishes on Mary's 118th birthday. And in 1969, President Richard Nixon did the same. Mary was now 121 years old. Wow. Mary received many gifts over the years, a radio, a sofa, her very first television, a new Bible, the key to the city and perfume and champagne from the Canadian Mounties. She also received something that brought back those long days in the Alabama cotton fields, her first airplane ride. From the cockpit window, Mary gazed at the trees and rooftops below. No different than a horse and buggy, she joked, but she knew it was. As the airplane dipped and soared like those swallowtail kites of long ago, Mary decided that flying was a lot like reading. They both made a body feel as free as a bird. Each year, before her birthday celebration came to an end, someone would whisper, let's listen to Miss Mary. The shuffling and movement would fade away until not a sound was heard. Then Mary would stand on her old, old legs, clear her old, <clears throat> old throat, and read from her Bible or her school book in a voice that was clear and strong. When she finished, she would gently close her book and say, you're never too old to learn. That was exciting in a different way. Miss Mary Walker was born a slave on May 6, 1848 in Union Springs, Alabama. How many of you know where Union Springs, Alabama is? Yes, and then she moved, where did she move to when she left Union Springs? She went to a little town. At the time, it was a little town. Now it's a big city, but it, she moved to Chattanooga. That's right, she moved to Chattanooga and that's where she lived until she died. Mm-hmm, and that's where she learned to read many, many years later. She was 121 years old when she died. Wow. Do you remember how old she was when she learned to read? 
I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to get the book and read it yourself. Oh, okay, I'll tell you. She was, let's see, 118, I believe the book said that she was 118 when she started learning to read. Wow, no, 114 when she learned to read. Wow, how exciting is that? Remember the name of the book, The Oldest Student, How Mary Walker Learned to Read. Pretty cool. All right, guys, we're on our last book for this evening. This book is called Eyes That Kiss in the Corners by Joanna Ho and, let me see, and Zheng Ho is the illustrator. It was published by Harper Publishers. Let's see, are we ready? Here we go. Some people's have eyes, some people have eyes like sapphire lagoons with lashes like lace trim on ball gowns, sweeping their cheeks as they twirl. Big eyes, long lashes, not me. I have eyes that kiss in the corners and glow like warm tea. My eyes are just like mama's. Mama's eyes that kiss in the corners and glow like warm tea crinkle into crescent moons when she comes home from work. She scoops me in her arms, eyes sparkling like starlight and tickles me until we laugh ourselves into the floor. When mama tucks me in at night, her eyes tell me I'm a miracle. In those moments when she's all mine, flecks of dancing gold tell me I'm hers too. My mama is my sun and sky and her eyes are just like Amma's. Amma's eyes that kiss in the corners and glow like warm tea, but don't work like they used to. But she sees all the way into my heart and can even read my mind. Her eyes are filled with so many stories, I can fall inside them and swim until time stops. I see Guayen with the Monkey King sitting on a lotus, serene. Bobbles of lychee on trees and mountains that reach for the sea. My Amma never ages and her eyes are just like Maymay's. Maymay's eyes that kiss in the corners and glow like warm tea blink against the window until I come home from school. They disappear between, beneath her two teeth smile when I walk in the door. She toddles after me, gazing up at me like I am her best present. I hope she looks at me like that forever because when she looks at me in that Maymay way, I feel like I can fly. Maymay's eyes that kiss in the corners and glow like warm tea are just like mine. My eyes crinkle into crescent moons and sparkle like the stars. Gold flecks dance and twirl while stories whirl in their oolong pools, carrying tales of the past and hope for the future. My eyes find mountains that rise ahead and look up when others shut down. My eyes curve like the swords of warriors and through them I see kingdoms in the clouds. My eyes that kiss in the corners and glow like warm tea are a revolution. They are Mama and Ama and Mei Mei. 
They are me and they are beautiful. The end. Oh, that was a pretty story. That was very nice. How old do you think May May is? I wanna know if you caught it. It says that she only has a two tooth smile. So she must be pretty young. She must be a toddler, a little, a little child. Do you have a younger sibling, a sister or a brother who looks just like you? And you look just like your mom or your dad? And they look just like their mom and their dad? Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Thank you guys for reading with me today. I'm so glad that you did. Well, it's time for me to go. I'll see you next time. Thank you.